What's up, everybody? Where's Dryden? I can hear him. There he is. Some things never change. Um, I love you, Dryden. Dryden, Dryden, uh, he'll, he'll be in my story in a minute. But Dryden, I love you, Dryden. Um, I, w- I got to speak at um, A&M uh, Chi Alpha a few months ago. And, and um, I told them that I was, I was a little bit self-conscious uh, speaking to them because, you know, say and m they all got degrees and they're spending $80,000 on certificates. And, and I didn't go to university and so I'm like, you know, they're, they're clever and, and they're going to have big jobs. They're intellectual people that are going to do big things. And um, then I realized that I don't have a university degree. Um, you know, in order to show my credentials, in order to give weight to what I say, uh, but I do have something better, and that's a British accent. And, yep. And when you have a British accent, your IQ level goes, it skyrockets. You guys here in Texas don't really like Hollywood, but thank God for Hollywood. They made us Brits sound more clever than we are. Um, and so, um, yeah, I was, I was uh, born actually in Northern Ireland, which is, uh, I would say Northern Ireland and, and Texas are God's countries. Um, and um, so born there, lived there until I was eight, and then I uh, moved to England with my family to Cornwall, Southwest uh, England. And I was, I was brought up in church and um, went to a, a small church in a small town in Cornwall. The town was called Camelford. And um, yeah, and small town, small church. And, and so I was just, you know, doing my, my normal thing. And when I was about 14, uh, this, this man arrived um, and he was from Houston, Texas. And his name was Eli Stewart. And instantly I, I uh, was drawn to Eli. I, I loved Eli. Um, I don't think I knew what, why, why I loved him, but there was something that I, I loved. And uh, I always wanted to be like people growing up. I, I was always following someone, a, you know, a celebrity, a uncle. But when Eli came along, I wanted to be like Eli. And... Um, you know, we got to do cool things. And then Eli uh, came back a year later with, with a team of people from Houston. Um, and the year after, another team, and another team, and another team. And on those teams uh, were lots of people that are now uh, doing ministry on different campuses with Chi Alpha. Dryden was on, I believe, the first team or second team. Uh, Dryden actually baptized me in 2012. Yeah. In, and that was in the the cold Atlantic English Ocean. It was fun. He baptized me because he was the only one that, that was man enough to get in the cold water <laughs> with me. No. no um, and so uh, I fell in love with these, th- these teams, these people. It was probably similar to your experience coming into to, uh, Chi Alpha. You just, you know, you're just like, what, what is this? And, and so these teams would arrive, and I thought, like they must pick the teams really well because these people are always amazing that that come over and I would you know every time a team came for just a few weeks 
uh, I would, when they left, I would have a few more best friends that, I, that are still best friends. And I finally uh, had been promising for a long time that I would come and visit. And in uh, 2012, November 2012, I came over and Colin Hill um, picked me up from Houston in his big uh, Dodge truck. And I climbed in there. I didn't know trucks could get that big. Um, <laughs> made me feel very small, because I had a truck in England. And when I got home, I feel like I had to like get down into it <laughs> compared to his. And so I, I just uh, remember coming down 45, and I'm just like, there's stuff everywhere with the, you know, going through spring and the woodlands and those areas and driving past and, and uh, saluting Sam as we went past the statue. And coming into Huntsville and then finding that there was hundreds of people that were like this, uh, hundreds of people that had this same thing that I had been my whole childhood praying for, like, God, if you're real, if you're there, then, um, then show me and I will give my life to you because you're God. And, and so there you go, you're God, I'll do what you want me to do. And so when I came to Huntsville, I was like, I, I, God was here. I knew God was in Huntsville, and I knew that I had to get here. And so I, I came um, as quickly as I could, really, in, in August, and started the internship with Chi Alpha. Um, very newly saved, uh, just hopped in the deep end, and, and thank God they allowed me to come <laughs> and be here and, and do the internship. I lived uh, with Chad Tarhini. Chad's right there. And um, we lived with Garrett Sakel. Garrett is in Cairo, I believe, uh, now. Um, and uh, Brandon Richard, who I believe is at Texas Tech right now. Um, and um, uh, Trent Ulrey and a few other people that you may or may not have heard of. And we lived in um, what was called the, well, Garrett called it the Gucci Mansion. Um, anybody heard of the mansion? Did anybody go there? Yeah, so your immune systems are probably really good now from being in there. It, it's like, it, it's, a, it's a strange, it's a, I don't know what it is, I still don't know what to call it. Um, but we actually uh, were the first guys to live in there. Uh, Garrett Sakel found that place, and I heard that recently it's out of Chi Alpha hands. Um, Lord forgive you know, whoever let it go. I'm joking. Um, but we lived there, and, um, and, it, and it was good fun. Um, so I, I was discipled um, through Chi Alpha here, and um, when, when I was living there with Chad, I would always say to him, uh, Haley Emerson, I'm going to marry her, that girl. And because I was at a soccer game mid-first year, and I saw her, and I was like, I didn't know Christians could get that good looking. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and I, from then on, I said, I'm, I'm going to marry her. And so um, after that year, you know, planted the seed with her, and, and on Facebook wrote, wrote a little note. And that was the way, that was the way to do it. And, and lo and behold, uh, we, we got married. And, and, um, but then Chad, Chad goes and marries her sister. And so, so we're, we're uh, brother-in-laws. Um, I, I spent two years at, at Sam Houston uh, with, with Chi Alpha doing the internship. Um, 
when I first came, I, I didn't intend on doing ministry. I came because I wanted to, to know more about God, and it was the obvious thing to do. Um, but by the end of that year, I knew that this is, this is where my life was headed. This is what I had to do. And so I did a second year. At the end of the second year, I went back to England to, you know, tidy up some things and, and say goodbye because I wasn't planning on leaving forever uh, when I first left. And so uh, spent that year just, just uh, tidying up some things, came back. We got married. Within that year, um, you know, coming over here, I was thinking, well, what, what, uh, what are we going to be doing? Haley was finishing off graduating. I assumed we would kind of just wait and go on a Chi Alpha team somewhere when, when, when the opportunity arose. Um, and I, I was having a conversation with uh, Haley's dad, who's the pastor at North Central Church in spring. And I, I said to him, do you know anyone that has any jobs, any part-time jobs? Because I'll be coming over and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll have time. And um, Haley's going to be graduating. And he said, well, why don't you um, look after the young adults at the church? Why don't you get something going with the young adults? And so I, I, he, I was saying, okay, we'll pray about it. And then he said, all right, I'll give you two hours. And so this was all happening walking into the Target. It was nothing spiritual about it. Um, and, and so we... we probably had one conversation and said, yeah, it makes sense. And so we went to North Central uh, Church, and um, there, we didn't know what to expect, but we got married in June, started there in August. And when we arrived, there was a handful of, of young adults, and we did the only thing we knew to do, and that was to uh, pull them in and, and start to build some small groups and, and start to uh, teach them all of these wonderful truths that, that we have learned um, from, through Chi Alpha and, and you know, how to disciple and transgenerational discipleship. And, and um, so that's what we did. We had, we had a handful. I think there was about five of us. A few of them are, are here tonight. And through that group, you know, there was more small group leaders and, and more people discipled. And so now uh, we have about 40 small group leaders right now at the moment in spring. And our, our, our hope is that we'll have a thousand small group leaders. That's what we would need in order to reach uh, our area in spring. And so um, that's, that's our prayer and, and our hope. And so we're thankful. All of that to say is that um, we, are, we are the fruit of Chi Alpha in Huntsville. And um, if you're sat here and you don't realize how lucky you are, I, 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 I dropped everything and traveled 4,000 uh, miles to, to be here. Um, because there was something special about this place. And so I'm thankful to Chi Alpha. And I was thinking, what, what am I thankful to Chi Alpha for? You know, and when I say Chi Alpha, I mean Christ in Chi Alpha. And that is honestly pretty much everything. <laughs> because uh, my, my, my life, my, the, my wife, my family, my, my family, spiritual family, and my children, and... and um, everything happened because of that trajectory change that came with Eli Stewart, a conference being canceled in Wales and Eli Stewart having to come to Cornwall. And, and that was the beginning of it. So we're thankful. Um, God is good. And uh, now I don't follow Eli, I follow Jesus. But I still love Eli a lot. Um, so from what I've understood um, this week that you, you guys have been going through is really about how to transition well after uh, university, after studying. You're, you're in this place now, you're living this life, but at some point um, you, you will leave and a new thing will, will begin. And so really I think the question that maybe you've had is what, what place will my 
uh, in the future, what, what place will my gifts have in God's kingdom? Like what I'm doing, because not all of you will be doing the internship, not all of you will become missionaries, and I think actually a lot of the time the harder task is to go and to work somewhere and, and to disciple in that place. And the reason I think it's harder is because we don't know many people that are doing that. Um, successfully and well, and I think that is hard. I always say to our guys, I have the easy job. I get to be paid to pray in the morning and to hang out with godly people all the time. Like, it, it, it's, it, it, if I do something wrong, then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stupid. And so, uh, but, but, but our guys, they're going into the, the, their workplaces. They're being around, you know, uh, men and women that don't love God. And, and, and there's the draw of the world. And so the, really the hard task is to be in amongst that um, and, and discipling in, a, in that. And it takes a, a pretty tough person to be able to do that. Um, so tonight is happening. There's uh, several tables, I believe there's about 15 tables of churches outside, and it's happening because uh, we believe that community is a big deal. So much so that people would come here and uh, invite you and take their time to say, we are here, um, and this community is here for you to move into. Um, I was at, when I was speaking at A&M, it was actually at uh, Messiah's Ranch, and there was this massive fire. I don't think I've seen such a big fire. And the, I, had never, I had never roasted a hot dog before. And, and, and so I, I get the hot dog, and they put it on a stick about this long. And the fire was like that fiery furnace, you know, in the Old Testament. And so I'm literally like that. My, pretty sure my face melted a little bit because the fire was so hot. There was probably 50 logs on that fire. And, um, and so with a fire like that, you know, there's, there's multiple pieces of wood on that fire. And, and I have a question for you guys. How, how would you know how much heat, how much heat each individual log on that fire is adding to the fire? How do you know how on fire each log is? How can you tell? How could you tell that? Who's, what was that? Yeah, if you, if you grab that log um, using a safe tool, not your hand, and, um, and you, you set it off to the side, um, you'll be able to see how long that log burns for, won't you? And, and there are logs that they can be so on fire that it can sit there and it will just burn itself into ash within hours. There's an, other logs that you could take off, and if they've just been kind of singed around the edge a little bit, um, they, they could just go out within a few hours. And if there's some rain, it will for sure go out you know, even quicker. If a log is hot enough, even if there's a bit of rain, it will still burn. And so the way that you find out how hot a log is is to take it out of the fire and see how it is. And so my second question is this. Your personal walk with God, your personal uh, friendship with God, would we be better to judge that by how you are during your semester at Chi Alpha, or would we be better to judge that based on how you are during your summertime at home? What do you think? I think I know what we want to think, what we want to believe. Um, but the, I, I, I don't want to tell you what I think the answer is. Um, 
but I, I would imagine that it would be closer to who we are when we're on our own. And I think that when we stand before God, it will be on our own. And God will say, how on fire are you? Where's your fire at? And I do know for a fact that when you uh, leave here, when you graduate, if you do go to be a missionary somewhere, I do know for a fact that your Chi Alpha community will not be going with you. Jason Bell will not be going with you. Um, so it will just be you, which means that it will be light when you leave to go on your summer. That may be very scary. That may be like, oh, I don't know if I have a walk with God now. Um, but community is, is still uh, wonderful and it's needed. It's a good thing. We have to have it. Community is like having crutches. And, and crutches are, are, are necessary and needed when we're weak and when we're, we're healing and when we're becoming strong. But while we're on those crutches, we have to start to exercise and get ready to walk without them and, and to, to at least be okay. Not that we're ever going to try and get rid of community, but we have to become strong. And I think one thing while I was here at Sam Houston was, God, I need to be different. My heart needs to be different. I don't want to just be singed on the edges and look like I'm doing all of the right things. God, I need my heart to be molded and changed, and I need to not just do different things, but I need to be a different person when I leave here so that all that I do will flow out of that. When I was 16, my uh, goal in life was to be a millionaire by the time I was 25. Um, that was what I was aiming to do. I obviously thought that there was a lot of value in that life. Um, I didn't necessarily want the, all the money. Um, I just enjoyed that idea of, of, of doing that um, and, and maybe have an influence through being wealthy and becoming a millionaire. And uh, the, 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 the longer that something lasts for uh, makes it more valuable, right? Like, I have a Tacoma. The reason I bought a Tacoma is because I was told that they last a long time. I hate car problems. And I've heard that some Tacomas have lasted for a million miles. And I've heard that they're some of the most reliable vehicles. And um, they are paying me a little bit to give this pitch, Toyota. Um, but um, so I, I was like, all right, I'm going to get a, a Tacoma there. I will pay a little bit more money because this thing's going to last a long time. Things are more valuable if they last a long time. Um, like countries, that what they should really do is when they print money, that they should back it up with gold, a, a store of gold, because gold is the thing that holds the currency. But even gold can, can fluctuate and change, and ultimately gold itself will turn into sand at some point in, in the next few thousand years um, when it rots away and disappears. So that was what I was aiming for, and that's what I thought was valuable, and I thought... Um, we're celebrating. The fat, fattened calf has been killed. The whole town is here. We're celebrating. And at that point, the son just grows angry. And he's saying to his dad, this son of yours goes off and squanders all of this wealth and comes back, and, he's, and he just can't believe it. He cannot believe that this person would be just accepted in like that. And the father's saying, I've always been here with you. You know, you, I, we've always been together. You've always had me. And all that I have is yours. He's saying that the, the inheritance is still all yours. That hasn't changed. But yet the son doesn't enter into the party. 
and the story ends quite abruptly there. And we have to assume that the son's heart didn't change quick enough to actually enter the party, but maybe he went down into the fields and, you know, gossiped with some of his, some of his friends. Um, but the, 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 the fact is that the son didn't go into the party. The party that was full of grace, it was full of kindness. There was celebration happening, and he didn't want to be in there. And the reason that he didn't want to be in there, the reason that he couldn't enter the party, wasn't because his dad wouldn't allow him in. His dad was begging him to come in. It wasn't because the door was bolted closed. The reason he couldn't go into the party was because of the state of his heart. It was because the attitude of his heart that he couldn't step into a place with so much grace and kindness. My question where I'm headed here is just asking, would you, would you have entered that celebration? Would you have walked into that celebration? And you think to yourself, well, of course I would. I love grace. This is Sam Houston Chi Alpha. Anybody can come in here. And, but his problem wasn't that he didn't love grace. He loved grace. He did, just didn't like grace towards his brother. Uh, and of course, I think it's safe to assume that this is a, a, a pretty good picture of heaven. You know, the father that is wanting to receive people and that, you know, that none should perish. God doesn't want anyone to perish. It's not his will. And that the sinners would, would walk in dependent on, on God and wrapped in his arms, but the, the religious would be stuck, you know, too prideful in order to enter. And so is there anything that would stop you from stepping into heaven? Is there anything that would stop you, anything in your heart that would stop you from going into heaven? There was another man who came to the gates of, of heaven, and now we're, we're looking at this from the idea of, of heaven, that there was a man that arrived at the gates of heaven, and Jesus didn't come out to, to invite him in. Jesus didn't come out to um, ask him to come in, but as he approached um, the gate, he realized um, that his own dad was coming out, walking out to invite him to come into heaven. And the young man, he knew what heaven looked like because he saw the pearly gates, you know, and it even had heaven inscripted into it. And so he was stood there as his dad walks out towards him. The son, though, um, as his dad got closer, he realized that he had only seen this man in, in pictures before because he had never actually met his dad. He, when he was two, his, his dad uh, um, had abandoned him and, and he had never uh, seen him before. And so his dad is, is kind of humbly and respectfully coming out to approach his, his son. And he says to him, son, I, I've, I've waited to see you. I've waited to see you. And the son says, dad, what are you doing here? I thought, I thought the sign said heaven. And the dad said, son, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know I, I tried calling, but in my last few days, I, and the son says, but what, dad? What excuse is it going to be this time? And the dad said, in my last days, it, it, it all made sense. I, I saw that I was the problem. I realized it wasn't the world around me. It was me. It was my heart. And so I bowed to God, and I asked him to take control. I asked him to lead me and to transchange I changed into a different creature. I was born again into this new lineage, into the lineage, the family of God to be his son. 
And the son says to him, always trying the fast one, aren't you, dad? Do what you want your whole life, then last minute, you know, find the quick way out. Typical, just like how mum described you. And the dad said, just, just walk with me, son. Just walk. Just come with me. And when you're transformed, this is all going to make sense. And the son says, walk with you. That sounds so awkward. What will we talk about the whole way? How I sat alone at graduation, how all the other boys had their dads cheering them on in sports. I can't think of anything worse. And at that, he threw his arms up in the air and he just walked off. And maybe you can replace that dad character with a, an ex or, or another family member or that person, you just can't get over what they did. And so the question is, is there anyone that you wouldn't stand to be in heaven with? Is there anyone that you wouldn't let lead you into heaven? And just as that man walked away, another pulled up in a big Dodge diesel truck. And he had a flatbed on the back of his truck, a big old trailer. And this thing was weighed down. The tires were nearly about to pop because he was, he was really redneck. He actually had yee-yee uh, <laughs> stickers on the back of his window. And, and he pulled up. And Jesus came to the gate this time, but the man barely recognized him. He knew that there was something divine about him. But uh, Jesus came to the gate, and, and the man said to him, I am so glad that you built these gates so wide so I can get my big old trailer through there. Um, and uh, Jesus said, oh, yeah, wonderful. You can, you can just back over there and just dump all the pavement in that patch. There's a patch over there missing some, and you can just dump it over there. And the man kind of laughs, and he says, no, that's not pavement, Lord. Uh, that's pure gold. This is all the gold that you know, I, I've acquired in my whole life. This is my, my last... 60 years of invested time, and I brought it here so that maybe, you know, we can invest it in some more of those mansions up here. And Jesus said, oh, no, we, we just use that stuff for the streets up here. We just put it, you know, on the ground, and that'll fill in that nice little patch right there. And the man realizes that he's not joking, and he says, you, you have to be joking. That's my life's work. Spent 60 years investing in that. That's about $20 million right there for a 20-foot piece of road to be built. Before Jesus could say anything, the man had hopped in his truck and he said, I can't stand to be in such a wasteful place as this. And he spun off out of there. Finally, there were two more characters that arrived. There was a policeman and a nurse. And the policeman said, Lord, I look forward to being under your authority. You as chief to be under your authority, Lord, to follow your orders to help keep the peace and the justice in here. And Jesus said, there's no need, there's, there's no rules, uh, there, there, because there's no selfishness. This place is just governed by love. And the policeman was kind of left thinking. And the nurse says, Jesus, I can't wait to continue to use the gifts that you gave me to help to bring healing and life and transformation and Jesus said, there's, there's no need, there's, there's no death and sickness and every tear has been wiped away. And he looked at the policeman and said, you, you can, your, your badge, you can take your, your golden badge off and just leave it over there. And to the nurse, her little golden watch and her penny said, you can just 
you can just leave that over there. We, we use that for the streets up here. And, and the policeman said, but what will, my, what will my role be in here? What will I do in here? And Jesus said, it'll, it'll be the same as your, your true role has always been, to be a son, to, to enjoy your father. And the nurse said, but you just want us to throw away our, our gifts like that. Jesus said, you're, you're not throwing them away. It's, it's hard because you're just now seeing those gifts for what they were. They were just roadways. They were just paths. And he said, there's only one place now where there's chaos and hurting and pain. And the policeman had almost been thinking it was almost like for an eternity, just mulling over what was going on. And at that point, he grew so offended that he says, well, it sounds like they would make better use of our God-given gifts in there. I was born to help bring justice. And the nurse said, I was created to heal the hurting. And so they both turned and they walked off together. I'm kind of playing on that idea of in Revelation how it says that in heaven there will be streets of gold. That, that the main street in heaven will be, I'm sure at Sam Houston State, you've got a few streets here made of gold, haven't you? Around, I heard the, I heard the fees have gone up here the last few years. I, maybe that's what it was going towards. Um, but you may have heard this before that, that in Revelation, it talks about there being uh, the, the, this, this picture of streets of gold and, you know, this, this uh, vision and, and, and this idea that the best way to describe it is that the streets are made of gold. And that just, like, our imagination just starts to dream and wonder, well, what is the rest of heaven like if, if the streets are made of gold? And I think it does. It shows us the value of heaven but it also shows us the true value of gold in God's kingdom. It shows us the true place of gold in God's kingdom, just to be used as streets. Imagine the arguments that have happened down here over pavement, over heaven's pavement. You know, Russia going into Ukraine right now, and it's, pro it's over pavement, and people's families breaking apart over pavement, marriages breaking up over what in heaven is just pavement, people trying to stuff their pockets with it. I think our value systems are all off. We're, we're all out of whack. And John 12, it talks about Mary. Mary comes with her uh, pot, this big pot of, of perfume. And she comes and she, to Jesus and she, she, if you can remember in that story, if, if not read that, that she goes and she, she pours out this big pot of perfume onto the feet of Jesus. She is just covering his feet and paving the ground under Jesus with this perfume. I don't think that before she grabbed the pot, she was thinking to herself, wonder what the value is of this, like how long is it gonna take me to get it back again? She was just thinking, what's the greatest thing that I can do right now for God? And she grabbed her pot and she went and poured it on Jesus' feet. It, within the disciples, though, there was um, Judas, and Judas, uh, this struck a nerve with him. And it says in the story that Judas kind of piped up and he said, this is such a waste. This could have been given to the poor. Like as if Judas cared about the poor. We're good at blame shifting, aren't we? When our little selfish nerves get kicked, we try to make it not about ourselves. And he says, what about the poor? And, and... And Judas's real issue here was that 
Mary was pouring out um, his God onto her God. And, and that, was, that was the issue because she saw clearly. She saw reality. She saw the value of things. And we all know that this is true about Judas because he went on to sell Jesus for just 30 coins of silver. And so um, Satan, uh, Satan tried to tempt Jesus with all the kingdoms of the world. Um, he said, if you bow to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I just can't imagine that would have been that tempting to Jesus because he knew the value of everything. He probably just pulled his calculator out and thought, well, it's going to last about 5,000 years. Eternity is going to last forever. Which one should I choose? You know, it's like these things aren't the end. They're not going to give me happiness. You know, as C.S. Lewis says, God cannot give us happiness apart from himself because it doesn't exist. I think Jesus probably knew that. And, and so he was, he, no, he's like, I'm good, thanks. And he says, I'm okay. I have God and all of eternity. And um, he knew that they were, those things were, they were just gifts. They weren't bad things. They weren't bad, but they weren't God. They were just gifts, not God's, to be used as, as vessels, as a, as a means to an end. They weren't the end. But we buy into all of these finite things, Finite things are things that don't last. They have a shelf life. And I think when I realized that everything that I was given my life to has a shelf life, I thought, is this worth giving my life to? Can anyone in here remember, uh, or do any of you know the uh, names of your great-grandparents by any chance? Can you put your hand up if you remember? That's a good amount. What about your great-great-grandparents? Three, four, five, by five or six. What about your great, great, great grandparents? Have they got the same name as you? Because that's cheating. Um, there was about six that remembered the great, great, great grandparents. Um, so your great, great grandparents would have lived full lives would have probably had conversations about good intellectual things, would have, you know, worked hard, raised families, lived full lives, um, and we can't even remember their names. And, and there's this lie, I think, that Satan has us all buying into, that if you work really, really, really hard in your life, that you will be able to pass things down for generations to come. Did anybody receive anything from their great-grandparents? Any money, any, anything? Nicely done, nicely done, yes. Wanna be in your family, great, well done. Any material things, did you get a check? Did you get money, did you get anything like that? One person, okay, from your great-grandparents, share, share the wealth, share the wealth. You saw the offering link up there. Um, so, at some point, you're probably pass it on to your kids, maybe you won't. But the point is this, is that um, the things that we earn in our lifetime, the material things, the houses, all of the things that we try to build up, they might last for 60, 70, 80 years, maybe 100 years. And it's kind of sad to think that all of the things that we would pour all of our energy into will be gone in 60, 70 years, along with our names as well. And so I, I came to this realization that there's, uh, 
there's probably, I, I believe, only one thing that, that we can invest into that will be eternal, and that is to pass on Jesus. Um, and because in the Bible it says the word fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and, and that we are to bear fruit. Fruit is different from vegetables because fruit has seeds. Makes it eternally different. Um, sometimes in ministry and life, people have things that look a lot like fruit, but it's really not. It's just vegetables. It looks a lot like something that will replicate, but it, it just kind of looks pretty good to everybody that can't tell from the outside. But fruit has seeds, and fruit is something worth investing in. Um, if, if you have one apple, within a few, 100, 200 years, you could have an old orchard of apple trees because of that one apple, because there's life inside of it. And if we can have the fruit of the Spirit, if we can have the Holy Spirit, it means that we can pass on, that the fruit will drop off of us, it will uh, regrow, it will produce more fruit, and it will drop off again and again and again. And that means that if you disciple just a few people and they know how to, that your influence actually won't die down, it will get larger, and what Christ does through you will continue working until Christ comes again. And, and I think that that is something that is actually worth investing in. Um, and so all of that to say is that if we invest in something that doesn't last eternally, I mean, you, this isn't something to be argued with, this is just true, is that if something isn't uh, gonna last eternally, then at some point it will turn into dust. It will rot, it will die. And, and so um, whenever we do things, it's like, God, would you breathe life into it so that this will actually have effects for eternity? At this point, you might be thinking to yourself, uh, who invited this guy? Who, who asked this guy to come? Because it's not been very motivating and inspiring. I thought he was gonna tell me how I'm gonna kill it in the workforce for God, uh, but we're gonna move in towards that. So this idea of streets, you know, this idea of God's kingdom and, and these things really just being as, as streets to be used, these gifts, our family, our friends, our homes, our jobs, all of these things, these gifts that aren't God's, they're just something that God has given us, gifted us in order for us to use uh, to, to pave the way for him. Um, streets aren't bad things, are they? Like streets are extremely useful. They're not, it's not waste. We all had to use a street to get here tonight. There's streets that go all throughout America. The reason we can drive from one side to the other is because of roads. If you go into to Houston, you know, it's like spaghetti, all of the different roads everywhere. And, and streets are wonderful. They're, roads are great because they're for networking. They're for moving. They're for transporting. They're a vessel, aren't they? They're a vessel for life to happen. But they're not destinations. The street itself isn't the destination. They're just roads to the destinations. And so we have been given these building blocks to lay down, to pave the way for Jesus to move. We've been given these things that we can put down as streets for Jesus to walk on and, and, and move. So our jobs, if they're, you know, if our lives are, 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 are um, surrounded, uh, going around Jesus, if, if our integration point is Christ, and we follow Jesus, and he starts, we say, Jesus, how would you use this? It's like our job isn't the destination anymore. It's not the end. It's not the thing we're trying to get to. It's just 
part of the journey. It's something that we get to go into. We get paid to go and minister to people at work. We get paid to go and invite people in uh, to our small groups. They, our jobs, they become this, this tool which God can use to shape our characters and mold us. Because sometimes work isn't fun. And it's like God helps us to grow in character and it becomes an eternal thing. We spend the money that God has given us to, to, to take people out for meals, to invite people in, to bless people, to give to God's kingdom to be used uh, to grow and invite more people in our homes. Like I'm sure you small group leaders, when you go to look at a home, you're looking around thinking, where could we have small group in here? You know, oh, that's going to be a good spot for a fire pit out there. And it's because your home has bowed to God. The home has, has become now a road. It's not the destination. It's not for your kingdom, like the prodigal. It's for God's kingdom. And you've said, God, use this as a vessel. Our family is opened up and it's used. God, would you use our family as a vessel? Let it not be just for me. Let us invite people in, God, that your kingdom would be built through this. They're not destinations uh, they're just roads to get there. And if we try to build our home on a street, um, it has to have wheels on it, doesn't it? Better have wheels on it because we're going to have to keep moving. We're not going to be satisfied. We're going to have to keep moving around, looking down every dark alley to try and find some rest somewhere. I think there's this ungodly idea that it's the ministers and missionaries that do the work in God's kingdom and everyone else pays to, for them to do it. And if the thing is, if you're a Christian, then everywhere is your ministry. Because ministry isn't about what you're doing. It's about who you're being. Like, it's not something like, oh, time to go to work, going to turn my Christianity off and go into work. A Christian is something that, that you are. We, we are Christians. And if a minister is more of a Christian when he's getting paid than the amount that he's more Christian, sorry, if a minister is more of a Christian when he's getting paid, then the amount that he is more Christian is not real. Is that, that's true. I think that's true. Um, I'm proud of our, I'm so proud of our, the people in our group. And I think that the, the, the thing, when I, when I think about our group, I, 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 I am comforted by the fact that I, I believe that the same people that are being drawn to us are the people that would have been drawn to Christ. And, and maybe the people that would have ran away from Christ are running away from us as well. And that, that comforts me. And, and, and some of the, the, the people in our group, um, or, or, or a lot of the people in our group as small group leaders and members of small groups, what they're, they're doing is in following Christ where they're at um, in the workplace um, or, or if they are still studying, they're, they're allowing to God to define how they should live uh, their, their lives. So when they go to get a job, they don't say, what's the pay? They say, what's the schedule like? And, and the shift happens there because they're saying, this is gonna have to work around what God has asked me to do. And, and, and so they're willing to take you know, 10,000 less pieces of pavement in order to um, have the, the right schedule. And, and some are you know, working part-time to intern. 
but it's like, if you ask them, they're like, that's not a sacrifice. Like, I, I want to do that. I, I, I love to do that. And actually, for, for some of our guys, it's the opposite. They want to be in at the church. They want to be there all the time. And they're saying, no, God's actually asking me to be away at this time. And they're having to sacrifice doing more ministry to be in, you know, in the church. And, and we have uh, a few that are um, choosing to stay in, in workplaces despite great offers because they're discipling people in that workplace because Christ is leading them and, and they see this as building God's kingdom. I, I'm going to now invite up, I, I, want, I want you guys to get to, to see two of our uh, a guy and a girl from our group. And Julia, if you would come up first. Um, <laughs> Julia is a, a, a wonderful girl that's been around for a few years. And I just wanted to have her share uh, how she came along and um, yeah, what God's done in her life over this last few years. I don't think you realize how many people are actually in here until you stand up here. Um, but yeah, Johnny texted me like 30 minutes before I got off of work today, and he was like, will you share a little bit of your testimony tonight? And I was like, oh yeah, of course, sure, why not? Um, but I, I had a moment in my life where I didn't know God, and I, I was burned by a church. I was burned by the people in the church. And I walked away, and I said, God, if that's what you're like, I don't want it. And um, that hurts my heart today to say that. Um, but I got into a lot of things, started doing a lot of worldly things. Um, every sin that you could possibly do, I was doing it. And um, I started working at a job, and I was growing in that job, and it became my identity. And it, it very much was the throne of my heart. I was like, you know what? They're making me a boss here. Like, it was something I was so proud of. And it was something that pridefully, I was like, yes, I want to be the CEO. I want to be the boss. I want to be this because I want to be able to tell people that I'm this. Um, and I was very proud of it. And then I met a girl, Ashley Cavazos. <laughs> She is such a woman of God, and she never once spoke about God to me. She never said God's name. She never said anything. She never spoke scripture to me, but she showed me what love was, and she sat with me at lunch, and she truly became my friend through that, and she would ask me every so often, Julia, we're doing this at Kairos. Like, come and hang out. Like, this is what this is. Come, come see Johnny. Like, come see all of this, and I was like, no, don't want it. I'm sorry. I don't want it, and and, um, and I would tell her just like that too. And, and I feel bad for her now because I love her so much, but she never stopped. She did that for months and months and months and she never stopped. And she still loved me the same every single time that I gave her that answer. And one day she was like, Julia, I'm speaking at church. Please come. I want you there. You're my friend. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. The entire way there, I'm driving. I'm like, okay, we can turn around anytime. I'm ready. Like, I don't, we don't have to do this. I walked into that room and I never walked back out. <laughs> And I would say, like, when you walk into a room of people who truly love God and they're truly following God's word, like, there's no amount of love there that, like, you have ever felt in the world, ever. And um, I don't know, I gave my life to the Lord not long after that. Um, and I felt his presence, like, so strong. And I, I moved 30 minutes away from where I was working just, just to be close to the people that I love. And... 
something that has always been so hard for me. I prayed for years and years and years, God, please release me from this job because I felt very much like my job and God were at a war with each other. And I put so much of my identity into this job that now that I love the Lord, I wanted him to be my identity. I wanted to live in God's word. And I couldn't, I couldn't fight the both of them. Um, and I, I prayed for so long and something happened not long ago where I got COVID during Christmas and then I was diagnosed with vertigo and um, I couldn't walk. I couldn't make food for myself. I couldn't drive. And my poor roommate, Jessica, I looked at her one day and I was like, Jessica, I need you to take me to the hospital. I'm seeing three of you. And I was so freaked out in that moment where I was like, you know what? The only thing that I have is God. I, I, I didn't have anything other than God to rely on. And it, it took a lot for me to really trust what he was doing in my life. But I started praying about it and I felt God tell me, Julia, this job is gonna kill you. And he's like, you need to choose me. Choose me and, and live for me. And um, I ended up texting Haley Sayers. <laughs> She's so great. Um, and, and I sent her this whole long message about like what's been going on in my life, what I feel like God's speaking to me. I'm like, God's closing all of these doors in my life, but he's not opening any. And I was like, if it's truly of God, do you think he would pave the way for me and I could see like what's in front of me um, if he's truly closing all these doors? And she texted me this one line back and I really don't think y'all are ready for it. But she said, Julia, God's just waiting on your yes. He's not going to open that next door for you until you say yes to him. He wants to know that you are going to walk in faith in whatever he's about to put in front of your life. And I never found that to be more true. Um, I quit my job. <laughs> and now I can say I'm truly blessed because I got another job. Yes, it's a pay cut, whatever. I'm okay. My schedule is now open. I can now serve the Lord and, and, you know, spend time with my girls, spend time with God and spend time pouring into other people. And this new job that I'm in, like, they're not all Christians. It's a Christian-based company, but none of them walk with the Lord truly. And so I found that there's a lot of people my age in this job. And, and now there's all of these opportunities where I'm like, I never would have had that if I didn't take the chance and trust in what the Lord just told me to do. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Just wanted Julia to share that as an example of God's, you know, ordering our loves correctly. And, and so next, I, I want you guys to hear from Kevin. So Kevin's gonna. Kevin's story is um, absolutely amazing, and there's no, no way he's going to share it in five minutes, but um, I've asked him to squeeze it down. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we did a... Uh... Well, I'll give you a little backstory. We didn't uh, grow up in the church or nothing like that. Our parents, they're Catholic and stuff like that, but, I mean, they just went to church, and that was it. Sometimes every, like, probably just for the holidays and stuff. But uh, we, didn't, we didn't grow up in the church, so we knew nothing about the church, right? But it was actually my brother that started coming to Kairos and stuff like that. And, like, uh, 
whenever I was like younger, I always, one thing that I said was that I was, like as soon as I hit 18, I was gonna leave my parents' house, right? So like, uh, you know, life happens and stuff happens and then I was out for a minute and uh, well, I, I moved to California and uh, like I, I hadn't seen my brother in a minute, like a year. And uh, whenever I was in California, uh, I came back for like vacation or something like that, like Christmas and stuff, and I could just see like, like the big difference in my brother and like how he was and how he carried himself, you know, because uh, we grew up hood, we're not, <laughs> you know? But, <laughs> so. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, just, just seeing the difference in him, like it kind of made me like, be like, man, what is this food like eating, bro? Like, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like it just, whenever I was taking my flight, I think he, I still think he did it on purpose, but he kind of like made me be late to my flight. And uh, while I was in the airport, like I texted him, I was like, bro, I'm late. Like my flight left, bro. And <laughs> so I, I was there in the airport just thinking like, uh, like, damn, bro, like I miss my, my little brother, bro. Like that's, that's my dog, you know? And uh, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, uh, he just made me start like really thinking about like a lot of stuff, and then uh, so I came back, like I left California and I came back because I missed my brother, you know, and uh, so the the story like how I came to to Cairo's and stuff like that. Well, I work in the trees and we work around like power lines, and like that's like. Bro, it's like a dangerous job. Anybody that's ever seen like my Instagram stories, like. <laughs> like they, they know that, you know, like I risk my life every day. <laughs> but uh, so. I was working one day and uh, I don't know what I was thinking about and uh, I was like cutting like a log or a limb or something like that. And uh, when I was cutting it, I, I saw that it was gonna fall on a power line. Like, on, I mean, on a telephone line or something like that. And I was like, bro, I don't wanna pay that mug. So I'm gonna grab it. So I grabbed it and uh, whenever it was like, uh, like it was falling, I grabbed it. And I for, like for a minute, I forgot that the power line was like literally like three feet from me, right? So I picked it up, the log touched the power line, and I started getting electrocuted. And uh, the whole time, like while, while I was being electrocuted, like I, at first I didn't feel it, I was all like, like it was just weird. Like I was like, what? But, <laughs> but then I was like, bro, being electrocuted, bro, like that's crazy. <laughs> but, But uh, <laughs> but uh, so I I was being electrocuted and then uh, I remember like I was just like like bro like I'm about to die like what what happens next like I got kids so like the first thought was like bro I'm gonna leave my kids literally with nothing like I'm gonna die and I never showed them anything 
Like, I literally, like, they were talking about I never gave them anything. Like, all that other stuff was, like, it's, it's stuff that they can't take. You feel me? So, like, while, while I was, like, being electrocuted and stuff, I was just, like, thinking, like, like, bro, like, I guess I was having a conversation with God, and he was just, like, uh, you'll be all right, and you'll be, like, okay. And the whole time, there was, like, people trying to, like, throw stuff at me and, like, get me off the power line and stuff. But obviously, like, when you're being electrocuted, it's either one or two things. You burn internally, or that thing just, like, it hits you, and then you come off the power line, and then that, you know, you die. But all of a sudden, like, I just felt like something just pushed me. And uh, I know for a fact that the only thing that could, that could do that and, and let me, like, live and not be, like, dead or burning from the inside and stuff was God. I know for a fact that, that it was God that day, like, that he, he, he told me that I was going to be saved and that basically I was going to get a chance to give something to my kids that was going to be eternal. You feel me? But, uh, so, like, it's crazy because he, like, gave me, like, enough strength to, like, get down on my own instead of somebody coming to save me. So I got down, and then I just remember, like, I getting down and trying to unhook myself, but I couldn't. And there was, like, a lot of my coworkers, you know, taking me out, and they took me to the truck. And I just, I, I don't know, I, I passed out. And then uh, I just remember the ambulance, like, uh, coming, and they were like, are you okay, or whatever, and this and that. Bro, I was crying. Like, I was, I was crying. And the first thing I did was text, text my brother and text, because we have a group chat, and I texted my brothers, and I told them, like, how much I loved them. Bro, I didn't ever tell my brothers a day in my life that, how much like they meant to me or that I loved them. And it was just crazy because like I could have died and you know, so I went and I was home and I was like, I was just sitting down in the couch and just thinking like, like bro, that could have literally been the end of me. But uh, I told my brother and then um, the next day, I wasn't supposed to go to work, but you know, I have kids so I have to go to work. You know, like you have to like, no matter what, because you got to provide, right? And uh, so I showed up to work, and then her, bro, but you still got to finish that tree. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, so I, I showed up to work, and I was doing, like, my little thing, my setup and stuff like that, and then, uh, like, all of a sudden, I work in Beaumont, and uh, all of a sudden, I seen a dove like just come flying and land on the tree that I was gonna work on. And like, I don't know, something told me like that that meant something, you feel me? Like seeing a dove, I ain't never seen a dove a day in my life. Like, <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, so I seen it and I, and I text my brother and I, I told him, I was like, bro, look, and I, I started recording with my phone, like, so he could believe me that, bro, I seen a dub, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I showed him, and then, like, bro, this, this dude sent me, like, literally a Bible, like, a, a, a text, like, long, and I'm just reading through it, and I'm like, bro, I don't know what you're talking about, bro. <laughs> but, but he was just, like, like, he was just going on and on about, every, like, everything that was going on and trying to explain to me, but the thing is that I don't understand because I don't know anything. You know, but uh, 
Yeah, he, he told me, he's like, bro, I want you to come to one of our services and stuff like that, and, uh, you know, I'll introduce you to some of the people. So then uh, I went, and I think it was like a sports sport court thing, right? We were playing and stuff like that, and then I met Johnny, and then I talked to Johnny, and, like, we just talked, and I told him what happened, and he was just like, bro, he was like a friend to me at the time, you know, and I, I needed that. And uh, after that, I got plugged in with like everybody else. And uh, my small group leader, Mike, bro, that, that, that boy went ham, bro. <laughs> but like he, he was always there. I met Nate, learned about disc golf. <laughs> but there, there was a lot of people and like community did a lot of things for me, right? But like Johnny was saying, he's like community are like your training wheels, right? They're, they're only there for like a little bit. You have to learn how to walk on your own. You feel me? And like, uh, if you don't learn how to walk on your own, bro, like you're gonna be put to the side, like he said, the log that was on fire. And then you'll see, like, if, you, if you're based on, like if you're burning for just two hours, you can see that if it's just because it works, because you think that you can save yourself or because the community is saving you, you feel me? But it, Unlike the other log where if you put it out, that, th that mug will burn like, until it's like ashes, you know? And like, it's just, the thing is that if you don't make God like in your integration point, then, then you're gonna die out in those two hours. You feel me? But. The crazy thing is, Rick, Ricky had been praying for Kevin that day when he was in the tree. He didn't, he didn't know. He just felt burdened for Kevin, pray, was praying for him. And then the news came through that that happened. And, and the crazy thing is as well for Kevin that he always had a dove tattooed on his uh, shoulder. Yeah, on his, it is on his arm. And it's like God, God knows how to like, speak to people. How they, do you know what I mean? In their place. And that to Kevin, you know, that's what it meant. And, and so and now, now Kevin is a small group leader with us and, and doing a wonderful job. So I'm coming very quickly to a close here. Sorry, I am way over time here. Um, but last thought here is this, and this is to close. Um, it, within our internship uh, at Kairos, we, we realized that God wanted us to, to, uh, to train or raise people ready to be sent to other churches so that what we're up to at North Central can happen elsewhere as God opens the doors. And so, um, and God did open those doors as we prepared the people. And um, uh, so God opened a door in, first of all, in, in Waxahachie. And Brian, can you stand up? First one. And Brian and Ashley over here, um, they went to uh, Waxahachie, uh, left Lennon Nolan, you may have heard of Lennon as a pastor in Waxahachie, and they are working with Lennon Nolan, and they are uh, youth and young adults pastors there for people that are, uh, you know, within that town um, to, to build small groups within the, the workplace, within, you know, the life that they're living. And then also we have Xavier and, and uh, Keisha Vasquez here. And they're now 
in uh, Orange, Orange, uh, Texas, and they're doing the same thing there, uh, building small groups. They're they're pulling pulling people in and they're discipling people and showing them how, and they're creating a place that people can walk into, step into, and, and start to disciple people. And so. The, the um, invitation really for you guys is, is this, and you're going to have this talking to the people at the tables afterwards. Um, the invitation is uh, that you would pray about your uh, location before your vocation. Because I, I think that if we are Christians, um, and, and I think that's how Jesus would, would have us work, is to, you know, if a missionary is going overseas, they don't think to themselves, I wonder where I can get a job in the world. You know, they think, where, what country is God leading me to go to? And then I'm going to find a job so that I can minister in that place effectively. And so we would ask that, that you would pray the same way. God, what location? Where would you like me to go to? Would you like me to go to Waxahachie? Would you like me to go to Conroe? Would you like me to be in Willis? Would you like me to be in College Station? Would you like me to be in Kingwood? Would you like us to be in Spring? God, and then say, I'm going to plant myself there, and I'm going to, I'm going to use all of the pavement that God has given me, and I'm going to lay it down, and we're going to watch Jesus just work and use it for eternity. And so that's, that's, that's the idea. Um, the, the more general call, and Luke, you can come back up. The more general call uh, tonight, though, for I think all of us, Jesus said to count the cost. And, and when Jesus said to count the cost, he wasn't saying to count the cost until you graduate, was he? Uh, it wasn't count the cost for the next four years until you walk across the stage. It was to count the cost for the rest of your life. It was like count the cost to follow me, period. And, and you're all about to have big costs in a worldly sense to come your way. Bigger costs maybe than you've ever had before. Uh, marriage, for example, huge. Kids, massive. When you graduate, maybe someone will say, we'll give you a $100,000 check. That's a pretty big cost, isn't it? Um, houses, all of these things are, are big costs that you haven't even had to face yet, possibly. And so when we're counting the cost, um, we're, we're actually continuing to count the cost as we walk through life. Jesus, are you worth it? It's like, now I have, I, I have kids. Jesus, are you, are you worth it? It's like a $100,000 check. Are you, are you worth it? Could, could I help, you know, could I justify, you know, taking that and, you know, I can be the one that sends the money to missions. And, and so really the, 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 the call tonight is really to count the cost because when, when you guys leave, Satan is going to be right at the door waiting for you. And I would say that uh, you have about two months after you leave here before you have justified and convinced yourself of living a, a boring Christian life if it's outside of community and what God is asking you to do. And, and I don't think Satan's going to try and make you a raving atheist, but I think it will be worse, and that's to be a lukewarm Christian. And, and like, we don't want people to just be going to church and paying their tithes in order to quieten their conscience and please their mother, you know. We want people to go places and to say, God, use all of me. Use all of what I have. I, I place it at your feet. Use it. 
um, as your, and so what we're saying tonight is for you to reconsider, to, for you to think to yourself, did I really count the cost or was this just a, a big, you know, was this just a, a bit of a joke? Like we, we, we have to count the cost. Am I willing to lay down my life? All of the bad, all of the bad and all of the good at the feet of Jesus and to recount the cost, not to throw away our degrees or not to throw away things, but to come to Jesus and say, would you be able to use this? Would you be able to use this? How can we use this for your kingdom? God, my house in the future that I've dreamed of, how would you like that to look? Life's so much more fun like that when we're partnering with God and using it for his kingdom. And so as Luke and the, the band start to play, I'm gonna pray and I want you guys to just start to, however you do it in here, if you use this as an altar or pray at your seats and just really consider, think about it. What am I giving my life to? What am I investing my life in? And how long is that gonna last for? Count the cost, is Jesus worth giving my life to? It says that if we seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be given unto us. We've seen that promise to be true. We have been blessed. We've been blessed as we've seek first the kingdom of God. So God, I pray as we close here and Holy Spirit that you would, you would speak to each heart and that you would expose things. We're, we're deceived and it's hard to know we're deceived when we're deceived, God, but there's lies in our lives. There's things that we've justified that, that, um, that aren't of you. And Holy Spirit, there's been things that have been pointed out and brought out to the service during this talk, things that have been clear and obvious, God, and, and it's been brought to our attention so that we can inspect it and do something with it, Lord. So we pr I pray that these things would be weighed up against you, God. We sang the song, You Are Worthy. Are we honestly singing that, that you are actually worthy? Is that a fact to us, that you are worthy of it all? And so, God, I pray right now that each person would be challenged that we would really have to think before we can sing those words, before we can actually follow Jesus, it says to count the cost. And God, that we wouldn't start again until we really have said that we're willing to lay it all down for you, Jesus. It says that anyone who puts their hand to the plan looks back is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. God, we want to be fit for service in the kingdom of God. We want to be unstoppable for you, Jesus. We don't want to be chained to anything in the world that would pull us back. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can pray. The band's going to sing.